Phil Croshaw here again from Passions and in this episode it's all about Peru. No, not the country, this Peru. Enjoy. Hello there, and a very warm welcome to the latest edition of Passions. And today I'm so pleased to be joined by Peru. And uh, Peru is in the creative sector. He's in photography and all that kind of wonderful creative stuff. And um, we're going to talk today about his passions. So without further ado, welcome Peru to Passions. Tell us who you are and what you're passionate about. I am Peru, and I am passionate about pictures all kinds of pictures stills and moving images i try to um i like to think of myself as an iconographer not a photographer which is a very egocentric way of saying i try and make pictures that people will remember and not just blend into the dross of oversaturated blurb that comes out yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Well, I'll, we'll talk about that a little bit, but um, tell me how you got into this. As I asked most of my guests, you know, is it something that you, you know, you picked up a, a little camera when you were two? Um, how did it all develop? How did it come about? What's what's the story? Um, kind of by accident, almost. I um, um, I I sort of had a vague interest in photography because my parents took in a lodger when I was a kid and uh, he had aspirations to be a Fleet Street photographer. So he would be developing films in our bathroom and um, you know, he was a hippie and he liked to smoke weed and he was cool. I sort of thought he was the nuts, you know? And um, I don't think he ever got to be a, a Fleet Street photographer as it goes, but he was uh, quite an inspirational fellow. And I sort of had an interest in taking photographs I wasn't able to draw, I, I could draw, but I was a sort of failed artist, as many photographers are. You know, it's a lot easier to press a button than to draw something. So, um, yeah, I sort of had a vague interest in photography, although at the time I left school, I was considering being a long distance lorry driver, because I loved mm. the film Convoy, 
the 1970s film Convoy, big 10-4, we got a rubber duck. Remember and, it well. Um, yeah, so I, that was, that was also, you know, I was very easily influenced, obviously. So I saw a film, I thought I'd be a long distance lorry driver. We had a lodger who was a Fleet Street photographer and um, I wanted to be a photographer. I didn't really want to be a photographer. And then also, um, this isn't a real dog collar. I just must admit, just in case it confuses anybody, especially as I'm about to say that I was also considering being a, a missionary, a Christian missionary in, um, so this would have been 1990, 1998. And I, and I was sort of living a Christian life at that time. And um, I thought I was maybe being called into that sort of missionary work. And uh, I had a crisis of faith. I saw the dark side. I realized I didn't want to be a long distance lorry driver in England because it wasn't quite the same as being a big rig driver in America. And um, my dad was working in a college where they were one of the very few photography courses in the country and said, oh, you know, I think I can get you onto the photography course if you want to get onto that. And I was like, why not? I've got nothing else going on, which I did for a year. Then I dropped out and became a butler to a Viscount for a year, as you do. And then uh, realized that a life of servitude probably wasn't right for me. And I went back to finish my BTEC in photography before doing a degree in photography, before becoming unemployed as a photographer, as, as most sort of photographers that had done degrees in photography became unemployed. Now I've gone the, the usual route. <laughs> There's two routes actually. It's sort of, when I started, there are two routes in photography. One is you did a degree and then became unemployed and did something completely unrelated for, to photography or you started working in a higher studio and started assisting other photographers and became a successful photographer. So I went one route first, I went the degree in photography route, which was a disaster. And then I started working in a higher studio and um, assisting for, for other photographers for a little while, which is where I learned how to be a photographer. Just so interesting. Have you ever, and you may not may not have done, but have you ever reflected about what it is about photography that grips you, that creates that passion, that makes you want to do it so so deeply? I've thought about this myself, and I'm I'm still trying to figure it out. You know, I as I mentioned before we came on air, I love vlogging and I love podcasting and I love teaching people. I'm trying, and I do this channel uh, with Spencer and. I've still not kind of worked out what it is about it that I love about it so much. Have you got, have you ever reflected on that? Often, as it yeah. goes, because um, I think there are lots of photographers, especially lots of photographers of my age and era, that um, don't really enjoy taking photographs. You know, it, it's been a job for them and it's been a profession. Whereas for me, this has never been a job. You know, I'm very lucky that I've been able to make some money from it, um, but that's a bonus. And um, taking photographs really sometimes is more than a, a passion, it, it's more of a compulsion. And um, it's also how I identify as Peru the photographer. So there are times like during COVID lockdowns, where I might not be taking as many photographs as I would normally be taking. And I get really confused because, because I go around telling people I'm Peru, 
the photographer. Um, when I'm not taking photographs, then that challenges who Peru the photographer is. And I get very, you know, it's quite distressing. So I have to go out and take photographs just to prove to myself that I am still Peru the photographer, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, so all photographers, all sort of photographers that need to identify as a photographer will be doing projects. And there, there's been so many photographers doing projects all through lockdown. And, you know, all the time, if I'm not being employed by somebody to take photographs for money, I will be photographing something every day I take photographs, every day I carry a camera with me. If I don't have my camera with me, say, for example, I'm feeling lazy and I'll go out on a bike ride um, and I don't have my sort of decent camera with me and I've only got my iPhone and I see something and I have to take it on my iPhone. I'm, I'm like frustrated so badly that I will come home, pick up my camera and go and try and find what I photographed, you know? So yeah, it's every day, all the time. And, and this has sort of been something that's developed over time. So when I started out taking photographs, I wasn't as passionate about it. It was a sort of a, uh, an, an enabler in some ways, you know, it enabled me to have purpose to, um, to be in certain places, you know, I was the photographer, so I got to be there to do that. And, um, you know, it's given me opportunity to travel around the world. It's given me opportunity to meet like the most incredible people in the world. And it's, and it's really given me opportunities, but it's not, um, the opportunities aren't about money. They're about that, that really is, I know it sounds stupid and I'm really fortunate because I've got enough money that I can say that. But the, the money is like incidental to the experience of, of being there taking the photographs. It's also difficult for my clients sometimes because the photograph itself is incidental to me being there taking the photographs. The experience of meeting somebody is far more important than the photograph to me that I come away with. Whereas to my clients, obviously, they don't care about the experience that I'm having. They care about the photograph that they get at the end of it. How do you deal with the subjectivity of a photograph? You know, I suppose it's like our all art, isn't it? Uh, beauty's in the eye of the beholder and all that kind of thing. You know, you yeah. take the picture that you think is absolutely fantastic. But then if it's a corporate, for example, as an, just as an example, where you have four people looking at it and every single one of them thinks something different, how do you deal with that, especially if you are very, very happy with the end result? Are you, do you kind of challenge them on it and explain it? How, how do you deal with that? At the beginning, it was really um, difficult because mm. obviously as a photographer, you're led to believe that you're the most important part of the equation. And, you know, it's the way that you see the world that they're buying and it's your name on the picture and so on and so forth. So there are lots of photographers, including myself, less now than maybe in the past but there's a lot of photographers that have really big ego problems and um you know i used to believe strongly that my opinion was more important than everybody else's especially if i had taken the photograph then obviously the picture that i say is the right picture is clearly going to be the right picture because i was there and you know um these days I've become sort of resigned to the fact that I will do a series of pictures and there'll be some that I think and are better than others, but that 
the people that are paying for the pictures often will not have the same level of appreciation as I will, or the sort of, you know, I am a master craftsman in this field. There are some people that employ me that have sort of started as receptionists in offices, worked their way up through sort of the company and, and are now in a position to employ a photographer, but they're not particularly visually literate people. And their, their sort of interest in a picture isn't necessarily sort of well, what's the word, educated, I would say. You know, so it's quite frustrating at times, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm what I say is eyes for hire, eyes for hires. So, um, you know, if somebody's employing me to photograph something, then I will give them what they want. And, and uh, it's less about me these days and more about facilitating something that somebody else wants professionally. It's very interesting, isn't it? That you, what, what fascinates me is you've had a, um, a fair amount of success. I don't think it's unfair to say that a fair amount of success doing what you're doing. You know, just said you've traveled the world. Um, lots of people uh, enjoy photography. It's quite a popular hobby around the world. Never mind just in the UK. Everybody's a photographer. Every, especially now. Yeah. What can we say? You know, you know. Um, but what, you know, again, it's, it's a little bit of a crass question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, what would you say the the secrets of your success have been and in inverted commas what would you say the when you reflect what do you say the main drivers have been that have allowed you frankly to make a, a good reasonable good living out of it and to travel the world versus somebody else who may not achieve that i think one thing to say is that it's all subjective and you know what one person might consider is very successful in, in terms of, you know, me as a photographer, if you take it like that, like a younger, smaller photographer might look at me and go, oh, he's very successful. Whereas I might look at other photographers and go, they're very successful. There's always gonna be someone who's doing better jobs than you, earning more money than you, more famous, more successful, you know? So it's been very, because photography has no, um, specific sort of reward structure if you if you were to work in a job and you you achieve this uh you achieve this success you'll receive this sort of uh accolade or you know a reward in photography there's none so really we can only so often photographers will look at other photographers and value themselves and judge themselves against other photographers and and find their sort of feel comfortable about their position by looking at other photographers, if you understand what I'm saying. Yes, yes, I do. I, I have found it important not to do that. So I can only, um, if I enjoy my work and I like what I'm doing, then that is my reward. I, if, I'm, if I'm enjoying the photographs that I'm taking, it's, I find it really negative to look at other people and to think about how you relate to them and they relate to you and, and how you see yourself in that sort of structure. But there are a lot of very competitive people in my industry that really value themselves by looking at other people. So I've gone out of my way to be as uncompetitive as possible. I don't generally look at other photographers 
of my own sort of peers work and and worry about what they're doing the jobs that they're doing or what i'm you know i'm not doing and i i just take great joy from doing what i do for myself like i say it, it is like a compulsion or you know it is my passion it's something that i take tremendous pleasure from um so it, that's the reward that is good for me yeah i, I think it, answered your question actually maybe i went off on no 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 it absolutely does no it absolutely does um and i think arguably the, the what you're talking about is a, a superb definition of what passion's all about i mean this part of this journey of interviewing people is about finding out about what where, where people get their passions from what drives those passions and arguably at the same time in the background trying to research what exactly is a passion and where does a passion start and where does an interest start and end and where you know at yeah. what point does it become a passion and what what point does it become an obsession like you said yeah. and, and it's it's trying to figure that out but i think where people are talking about it's almost like the the, the money's a we've all got to live in and we've all got to earn a living we've all got to pay the, the bills but you still just love it for doing it and I think yeah, that's I mean, probably the definition I'm coming across now, which is more, that's what a passion really is. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I'm sort of known for certain sets of photographs. Like I've photographed uh, the rock star Marilyn Manson a lot over the last um, 22 years. And I've, and I've done a book of 21 years of pictures of him. And I've sort of, done projects on clowns and I did a book on clowns myself as a clown in different like clown makeups and stuff and I've done um, the book that's coming out at the moment is is about underpasses at night you know those are sort of things that people see that I've done and go oh you know he's really into clowns or you know he's really into Marilyn Manson's music or he's really into underpasses that's you know people think I'm obsessed <laughs> about underpasses at the moment you know all of those things gave me equal amounts of pleasure or or like uh, the big cat sanctuary stuff that we did where we we photographed real lions and tigers in lion's dens and um i enjoy all of that but like i enjoy them equally and i also like do things that people don't know anything at all about like i will do um painkiller commercials or i will do toothpaste ads you will not see my name on it but i will be paid to photograph people i did last year i was laughing saying that i was the botox king because i did two i did a botox ad and i did um i did something else juvederm i did you know they're both they're probably even conflicting you know uh companies but i i'm full on to that i enjoyed taking those pictures of people smiling showing off their beautiful facial fillers you know it's it Gosh, yeah Ma marilyn man marilyn manson to to teeth white now <laughs> that is yeah, an amazing eclectic mix it's all photographs and i'm enjoying it mm. all equally you know it's, mm. it's um i actually i really enjoy doing jobs where i get paid to take photographs there's a real pleasure in receiving money it's like this sort of it just seems like so ridiculous sometimes that somebody would pay you to do something that you were enjoying anyway. Um, just makes it a really nice thing. I really like getting paid for taking photographs.
Have, you, have you noticed sense. any? Have you noticed any changes over the years as it's become, as we said, said a minute ago, it's just become so easy to have the latest smartphone and a camera on it that, frankly, would have probably been about ten grand only about ten years ago. Um, are people kind of a little bit less appreciative of the what goes into it because they can just go like that and it's have a picture of a swan. Yes, it's funny you should say that. <laughs> yeah, the photographer has become very devalued within the sort of yeah try out uh, the pyramid of of power on a photo shoot. Mm. You know, it used to be that everybody would look to the photographer as the director and the auteur of a shoot, and that their vision was very important. And it was the photographer was always the most important person on the photo shoot. Maybe after the art director who was sort of mainly the photographer's client, art director, then photographer. Then, you know, now these days, and I don't begrudge them, but now these days the hairstylist is more important than the photographer. The makeup artist is more important than the clothes stylist. Anybody can take the photograph, or, or that's the sort of thought in people's mind. And, um, and often because we're all, you know, a lot of professional photographers are all shooting on the same sort of digital cameras, they all have the same kind of feel. And because everybody has a camera phone and can get a reasonable photograph out of the camera phone, everybody thinks it's really easy to be a photographer. And so why do we have to pay this old photographer 20 times more than we could pay this kid who's got a camera? And, you know, if it looks a bit crap, at the end of it, we can Photoshop it to make it look all right anyway. You know, that's, yeah. that's an unfortunate situation because good clients understand that there's more to being a photographer than just pressing a button. And, and in fact, in the old days, I used to joke and say to people, you know, when they say, what do you do for a living? I'd, I'd say, I press a button. Now, these days I'm going around going, there's more to it than just pressing a button, you know? <laughs> but, um, and and yeah. often now when I'm shooting for new clients that have been working with what we call kids with cameras, they're gobsmacked the difference in quality that I will produce and, and the sort of experience of being on a photo shoot with a photographer that's been doing it for years. You know, it's, I, I don't want to sound like a sort of cynical, annoyed, old, you know, replaced derelict photographer because there's these young kids coming out and doing the job cheaper and and effectively but um there is there is uh there is more to being a photographer than pressing a button and um you you have to have vision and you know for me i photograph people a lot and you might not be able to tell on this podcast but i think that my people skills on a shoot at least are very important to what comes out of the picture at the end of the day Oh, I'm sure that's true in terms of just the confidence element of it. And uh, and so much of it, so much of life, I think now more than ever is psychology, everything. I mean, I'm a business consultant by trade and do a lot of digital media and stuff. And it's so much of it is about psychology. You know, how do you influence people? How do you get people to know, like, and trust you? We talk a lot about, which of course is just as, as relevant to what you're talking about. Do you get to a point though, with you, when you get to an, an, a certain level of experience, where the networks that you've built over the years are critical 
in that you are maybe works coming from people who you know you've worked with for some time who already know like and trust you and will just automatically kind of call you when they have a project or do you have to be continually driving the lead generation process you would you would hope and as i had hoped that by this point in my career like as i say 25 years i've been taking photographs that i would have built up enough contacts and and uh, that i could that i could live off that now but Unfortunately, when I started, I was that egomaniac ass pain that I mentioned earlier. And um, I wasn't interested in making friends with anybody. I thought my world was revolving around me and I was very um, bad at like making friends with people who, if I had made, are now in positions of real power and could have really helped me at this point and would be booking me. So. That was one of my greatest mistakes that when I started out, I thought I was an island and I didn't need anybody else. And I could have been networking and making great contacts. That was, that was a real mistake. And now the people that I, a lot of the people that I have sort of grown with over the years of working together have left the business. <laughs> they're, they're, they're no longer in a position to employ me. And, you know, I'm, I remain a photographer, but they are no longer art directors in magazines. The magazines that I used to shoot for don't exist anymore. So um, it is very different. One, um, I'm just going to tell my kid to be quiet. Hold on one second. Yes, okay. Be quiet, please. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah, that happens all the time. Answer, but, you know. It's called the pandemic issue. We all I know it's it happens all the time. Like <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I was doing one interview actually where um, the uh, the guy's wife came back and started putting behind him, started putting a maiden up and putting smalls and stuff on me. Good job. <laughs> turning around going, I'm doing an interview, love. Can you? I know. <laughs> Just... I know. It's... So, yeah, so it's, it, it's perfectly life. normal stuff. Um... <clears throat> so I don't want to sound, yeah. you know, there is a hope. Maybe you can edit me out in this, but like, I don't want to sound like um, like a sort of pissed off about the situation and and um you know because i although the industry is in a really bad place i remain entirely enthusiastic about taking photographs every day you know i will just get paid less for it and um that that's okay because the money isn't the most important thing to me as i said previously and um i will move more into doing projects and more into sort of gallery work and and, and pleasing myself in photography rather than trying to please people that are doing toothpaste ads and, or, you know, photographing people for a magazine, for, for a page in a magazine and that. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned in the magazines there a few times, Peru, and, um, obviously there's some massive changes been going on. I mean, God, it, it feels like an understatement to say massive change with changes. I would say revolutionary changes probably driven mainly maybe by technology as well as attitudes. So you mentioned there about magazines. Um, what's the situation now? I mean, people still read magazines, I guess, but have you got any feel for whether the demand is still there or is, is it still in the background there or is it completely disappeared and will it disappear altogether, do you think, in a few years? I, I honestly feel that editorial, which has been like the greater part of my business, is dead <laughs> and a lot of a lot of people that still love magazines of our age 
and maybe younger will will find that offensive and will think that's a really bad thing to say but my kids and all of my kids friends and other kids that i know are not interested in buying paper products like newspapers or magazines they're interested in seeing stuff on tiktok and instagram and in fact my kids pretty much snapchat instagram i don't think they do tiktok but i know you know it's obviously very popular and they have they want their information delivered in two second bursts so they have like terrible concentration spans you know for them to sit with us and watch a 30 minute tv show is you know they'd be like going how long is this or you know if it was an hour they'd be like you know halfway through it they'd be going how long is this show going on for you know it's half an hour you know it's it's quite incredible and just disappointing you know troubling um but i i personally have books i had a book come out last year i've got a book coming out this year i've got a book coming out next year and you know we will continue to make books and we will continue to make magazines but they will be very niche and you know presumably uh considered unenvironmentally friendly because you have to knock down trees to make them um so it is it is a change and it and you know we can sort of mourn the loss of magazines and editorial but actually it's just evolution and things are moving on and you can't like get upset about it and and you know worry yourself the problem for me is that because there is so much coming out because it's it kind of makes the imagery that's coming out disposable because people kind just of- want to see it and then move on whereas like my whole thing in in my sort of professional world has been to do iconic photography that makes people really stop so when people look at my work or my portfolio they go oh you did this one oh this one oh okay and the pictures are remembered and when you see them you don't forget them whereas because there's this barrage of constant bad photographs being produced they just blur into a blob of nothingness and it and it's very hard you know the the level for doing something that is actually memorable has to be you know considerably shocking you know whether it's gratuitous you know violent sexual whatever to to sort of pierce that barrage of constant imagery you you really have to do something very very different so i'm not excited about that i'm not excited about bad photography taken on iphones and and i sort of mourn i do mourn the loss of sort of really high production big photo shoots that were expensive to do that result in like really amazing iconic photography i think we're losing that an example of that would be that um i photographed uh, the band u2 the irish rock band u2 um at their house in the south of france and um bono and the edge live together in the same colossal beachfront castle in the south of france and um they live in sort of separate wings of the same enormous place and it's so big in fact that when we were shooting there we were we were at this bit of building and it was like this vast thing and it had a and it had a, a terrace with a huge table on it set out for lunch and that and i, and I was sort of looking around and going, wow and it had a cinema room and it had gyms and I was going, wow how long have you lived here and they go 
oh no no this is the guest house we live over there <laughs> pointed in the background it was like a big house it was absolutely amazing but for me to be there shooting for me to be there shooting this cover of a magazine that no longer exists anymore it was an american uh, music magazine called blender so i was there in the south of france for five days with five assistants and we would we did a shoot i did a shot of them in the sea so i had four assistants in the sea with electric battery packs on their heads cabled string like a daisy chain of cables so that they weren't electrocuted so that my flash would work while i photographed the band in the sea oh and I did my this photograph of them as a wave sort of crashed behind them and splashed and they're all together laughing in the spray and it's a it's a really if i say so myself it's a very <laughs> iconic photograph of you too that shoot probably cost thirty thousand dollars minimum but it but that photograph you look at it today and it's still an iconic photograph of that band and it will always be an iconic photograph of that band and they're just you know if it if it's just being photographed you know they might get in the sea and they might be you know somebody might take a snap of them on their iphone of them sort of laughing around in the sea as a wave hit them and it, and it would have cost a lot less but it will appear on instagram and it will be gone minutes later and you know the next day the next day there'll be another photograph of them another photograph of them, another photograph of them and that's great because there's lots of content and if you're into u2 you get to see them doing all the stuff but that sort of artistry and the skill and that that actual sort of culmination of greatness is gone and and i sort of am disappointed about that yeah it's true do you think though that um despite the digital age we all still love a good story don't we do you think I, well it's interesting because i have been saying to my children for a long time as they've been growing up that words and you might find this strange as a photographer but especially a photographer who believes that a picture speaks a thousand words words are more important than photographs these days now more than ever so i'm often sort of bothered about the fact that if i'm doing a photo shoot for example if i was doing a photo shoot i was asked to do a photo shoot for virgin trains years ago and the the idea of the photo shoot was that i would photograph somebody against a gray background with a red tie flapping in the wind that was all that was all but that that job was tendered out to five different photographers and we had to write in words how we were going to photograph somebody standing against a gray background with their tie flapping and and we would be judged on our words who could write about that best not you know we could all take the photograph but it it came down to how well we could write about how we were going to take the photograph that and and that is very common in photography and professional photography now that you're you need to write a treatment for what you're going to do you know essentially i'm going to photograph this guy on a gray background he's going to be wearing a red tie i'll use a wind machine it will flap but you have to write that in two pages and make it very exciting use lots of adjectives and you know be enthusiastic about how you're going to photograph somebody standing against a gray background um so so now more than ever words are tremendously important and and often like for me um good photography doesn't need words 
and 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 it to me a sign of a bad photograph is if you need a story to explain what is going on but that that is a very common thing as well that you'll get a really bad photograph and then a written explanation of of how you should be reading this photograph well photography is a language and we should be saying stuff we should be able to communicate cross-culturally cross-language you know it should be clear what what somebody is saying so i always say as a photographer it's very important that you have got something to say and that you don't just open your mouth and you know nice pretty pretty pictures come out but they don't mean anything you know photography is a language we need to be communicating with each other i think for me personally the the, the power of where i would say words and images for me as i say this is just for me is where um you see the the picture but then the words perhaps underneath set some context for the picture or there's, there's a story behind it so you you kind of did it for me there you know in my imagination i i was on i was on this beach i wish i was i was on this do you remember those days i, I wish I, I was um you know i was on this beach with you know with you two in the in the surf and i had these people with the lights and and it's the, the, you know the story the context of that and then seeing the image next to that i think would that would be really powerful for me because you've got best of both worlds in a sense then well that's me exactly contradicting myself because um my next book is all about pictures and the stories that go with them. So, uh, you know, discount everything I just said <laughs> and go with that second one. But also because writing for me is very difficult. I'm not a natural writer. I'm a very slow reader. I find it hard to read. I might read the same page from a book like six times over the course of a week before I can move on. Um, for the last, uh, since 20, 2001, I started an online diary. And uh, in 2005, that became pictures and, and words. So every day I will write uh, an online diary entry and it'll be pictures and words. Some days it'll be about my trip to B&Q to buy a doorknob. Some days it'll be about photographing Vice President Al Gore and what was said then. So some days it's better than others is what I'm trying to say, but I've forced myself to write every day so that I can get better at writing, so that I can write 200 words about how to photograph somebody in front of a gray background. Um, I agree with you. I think, I think the context of, a, of a, the backstory of a, of a picture that you can't get from the actual picture is, is fascinating and interesting and hopefully that's why my book will also be fascinating and interesting but I think in terms of like a photograph it should be able to communicate it's a separate thing I think you know photograph that should be able to communicate what the photographer is trying to say in the photograph without words that should be able to happen but then as a separate thing the backstory is going to be really interesting in words as well yeah and of course now uh, now we're into the world of vlogging aren't we it's all about no my diaries it's about video diaries yes. and uh, some very very wealthy people on youtube uh, producing uh, vlogs and uh, that's that's a thing now and that's obviously changed significantly as well is is that has the video element ever been attractive to you at all or is it just pictures can you ever imagine moving more to the moving the moving um, picture i I still see the world in stills, mm. still. Mm. I, 
I prefer stills because when you're shooting stills, it's a it's an autonomous thing. I can do it on my own, and um, I don't need a crew around me. But I have directed a few things. I've directed a Marilyn Manson video with my friend Bill. I've directed a Katie Tunstall video that was quite successful. But I don't enjoy making films. And, um, and I'm sort of half kicking myself that we didn't start a YouTube channel 10 years ago when I was photographing people like David Beckham and we could have just had a film camera there and I could have been talking to David Beckham as I'm photographing him and it would all been videoed and I'm sure I'd have had a, a, a large following these days. But um, now, and, and you know, 10 years ago, I didn't mind seeing myself in front of a camera and I did quite a lot of TV shows um, you know, as, as various sort of reality show TV judges and, and things like nonsense. But these days I prefer not to see myself in front of a camera. So I, you know, I think I'd probably missed the moment for doing a YouTube channel. And, uh, you know, I don't think a YouTube channel about photographing empty underpasses at night would be the right way to go anyway. Not convinced, you know. About, about what? But I'm just about whether I think there's possibly there it might not be something you want to do, but I think there is an opportunity. I think maybe um, the great thing about YouTube, of course, is that um, there might be videos, but there can be videos of stills. Yeah. Add the music, add the right music in, and of course, music makes a big difference to the to the emotion of a lot of things, doesn't it? As we know on movies and TV shows and such like. Okay. I think actually that if you had um a range of if you were doing range of photographs with some music in the background as a as a youtube video i think people would watch that i would no i you know i don't i don't doubt <laughs> they'd watch it no for sure um i'm actually we actually are writing a um it's funny because i was asked to do a tv show a really good tv show um just before lockdown just just as lockdown was happening I was in the middle of three really exciting projects. One of them was to travel around the world presenting a TV show that was just like a dream job. And it was going to like really extreme remote parts of the world. So like I'd be hanging out with Inuits. I'd be hanging out in the Amazon rainforest. Wow. I'd be all over the world. Wow. It was a great job. And I was like the man for the job. And I was like, this is going to be a great year. <laughs> nope. And um, that must have taken being pissed off to a whole new level with the pandemic. <laughs> I, you know, I had, uh, I ha so I had the book coming out, and uh, we had some really big exhibitions um, that were booked in, and um, I, I did one. I wasn't able to go to it in um, Malaga, in the cultural centre in Malaga, and we had to. I had to do a Zoom conference call to say hi, welcome to my exhibition, which I'm not at which was very upsetting. And, you know, we had, we were going to do a world, we were going to tour, we were going to do a world tour of the book that I just released with exhibitions and, and like all kinds of meet and greets and gallery shows all canceled. So that was upsetting and it's not coming back um, because the book's been out for two years now. Um, but that was upsetting, but we actually, I do, I work, one of the people that I work with a lot is called Paul from Peter and Paul, this design agency based in Sheffield. And, um, and we are writing a documentary at the moment that will see me.
going back to uh, a project that I did 20 years ago. I can't really talk too much more about it, but 20 years ago, I did a project in Japan. And um, I'm going to go back and find the people that I photographed 20 years ago and see if they're still alive, see if they're alive, what they're doing now. Oh, I love that. And, um, love that yeah. idea. Yeah, hopefully that will come out and that'll be good. So there's always and, like... <clears throat> yeah, yeah. And, and of course, um, hopefully, maybe we'll all be a little bit more um, appreciative of these things. You know, if you're traveling all over the world, I've traveled myself for quite a lot over the years. And uh, you do, there's a bit of you take it for granted. Oh, it's another beautiful blue sea or it's another mountain range or it's another snow, snow peak or whatever. But I think now, I think there's a good chance that we'll appreciate it more having had it taken away, do you think? I've, I've you know, I've even appreciated going to the pub. <laughs> I, I, you never thought you'd be saying that, did you? No, two I'm years not ago. really bothered, you know. <laughs> but like, you know, we used to eat out, you know, fairly regularly and and just you know not being able to eat out as i've missed i've even missed people you know and, and um i used to enjoy not seeing people now i'm craving hugging people just randomly hugging people in the street you know just feels feels good to be out i mean it feels right at this precise moment you know we're we're sort of half unlocked and, you know, there are restaurants open and, you know, in, in gardens and stuff. And it sort of feels, I went to the Tate Modern the other day and you sort of feel almost like you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing and you feel a bit naughty and it feels a bit <laughs> odd still. Um, yeah. But I, you know, I'm, I would, yeah, we all, we all uh, miss the old normal and um, be good to go back to some sort of social norm. Yeah, that that sinking feeling when you you're going somewhere and you uh, you're about five minutes walk away from the car and then go, oh god, mask, the yeah. mask in the car. <laughs> that's a that's a new that's a pandemic world uh, scenario. But oh, it dr drives me crazy. Yeah, Peru, thank you very much for joining me today. I've really really enjoyed talking to you. Um, yeah, I guess final question, I suppose, um, is. Do you think you've taken the perfect photograph? Oh, well, uh, well, that's very difficult to say. So, um, like I said, at the moment, I'm trying to fit 25 years of photographs into a 272 page book with words as well, which is impossible. Um, I've not, uh, it's, I don't think there is such a thing as the perfect photograph to be honest. And, and like, I'm only interested in the next photograph, to be honest. Um, it, once, a, like I said to you before, the experience of taking the photograph is more important than the photograph. So the photographs that I have are just residual traces for me to remember where I've been and who I've met. And so I'm always interested in who I'm meeting next or who I'm, what I'm going to photograph next. And the past doesn't really interest me so much. Wonderful. Really enjoyed that. Thanks, Peru. Some really great stuff there. Some really great insights. And uh, hopefully I'll get to meet you. I'll say there's a lot of guests at the moment. <laughs> hopefully I'll get to meet you in the real world at some point. Nice Maybe with, uh, with my, my co-partner in this project, uh, Spencer Phillips, who, uh, who was kind enough to introduce us. So thanks nice very time. much, mate. Take care and stay safe Thank and all that. And uh, I'll talk to you again another time. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers, Peru.